rather have Jesus than yeah. anything. If you don't have Jesus tonight, you don't know what you're missing. We got a preacher who's going to talk to us about Jesus in just a minute. You know what we didn't do tonight? We didn't do it last night either. We didn't take up an offering. Now, you can't be a Baptist without taking up an offering. <laughs> so we don't do it during the service. We do it on your way out. If you want to make a love offering to Todd Allen and his family, they depend on this. This is their source of support. We've got a faith missionary back here. Brother Bird, would you stand up? He loves Jesus. He's a faith missionary. A faith missionary just goes out on the mission field without a board or without support, just believing that people love Jesus enough to believe in him and to support him. Well, Allens are faith missionaries too. <laughs> they depend on you to love them enough to help them keeping on, keeping on for Jesus. Uh, if you were here yesterday, uh, you had in your bulletin a revival little pamphlet, and it has who the preachers are and uh, the Allen family. And uh, tomorrow night, we have Olive Baptist Church pastor coming, Brother Ted Trailer. On Wednesday night, we have a pastor of First Baptist Church, Brother Dave Snyder coming. And Wednesday night, our church has a supper on Wednesday night. This is something normal that this church does every Wednesday night. But Brother Josh and whoever is involved in that said, let's just invite everybody Wednesday night before the service to eat a meal free. Did you hear that? You must not have because I didn't hear the first amen. <laughs> if you want to make a donation, if you want to make a donation Wednesday night, you can, but you don't have to. But everybody's invited. We just need to know how many. So if you're planning on coming Wednesday night to the supper, would you raise your hand? That's about 150. <laughs> Amen. That's a preacher exaggeration. We've got a homegrown preacher tonight. Dexter Truesdale is from the north end of this county. From a little wide spot in the road up there called Bogee. Anybody know where Bogee is? Hey, look at that, Dexter. Some people know where it is. He lived up there, grew up up there, was saved up there, called to preach up there. And uh, his pastor was Brother Phil Enfinger. Phil and Finger Sons here tonight. Randy, would you just raise your hand there, brother? <laughs> and Brother Dexter's got his son-in-law, Pastor Pensacola Baptist Temple, PBT. Amen? Amen. Mary, Brother Dexter's daughter. And uh, I love Brother Dexter. I, 
I only invited people to come and have a part of this revival that I loved. Amen. This is a Jesus man, y'all. He's pastored a church in Jackson, Mississippi for 37 years. Same church. Amen. I want to pray for you, Brother Dexter. If you just come up here, let me put my hand on you, brother. He's younger than I am, if y'all were wondering. Just about everybody is. <laughs> Dear Jesus, we want revival. We want you, Lord, to send revival. Thank you for giving us the preachers you've given us this week and the singers you've given us, the prayers that have been offered in cottage prayer meetings in deacons meetings and special prayer classes praying. This revival is not dependent on us. It's dependent on you, Lord. If we're in the way, Jesus, just get us out of the way. May your Holy Spirit speak through Brother Dexter tonight. May the word that he shares speak to our hearts. And Lord, if there's someone here tonight that's lost, May they realize their lostness. May they want Jesus to come into their heart and be their Lord and their Savior. And whatever's in our hearts, Lord, that you need to get out, may we not, may we not let pride stand in the way. May we say, Lord, thy will be done. In the wonderful name of our Jesus, amen. Love you, brother. Well, it's an honor to be here tonight. I want to thank your pastor, Brother Schaffner, for inviting me to come and be part of this meeting. I'm a little concerned about the meeting because I think when I got the preacher, pastor left. Where you at, preacher? Oh, there you are. Okay. When the pastor leaves and I get up to preach, I get concerned. Either he's heard me before or he hasn't heard me before and is afraid of what I'm going to say. And I'm... Thankful to be here. It's the first time I've met your pastor. I've known Brother Schaffner for many years. Uh, he had black hair when I first met him, and he had more hair when I first met him than he does now. First time I went to the Philippines, I went with Brother Schaffner, and that was many years ago. I've been preaching 52 years. Went to my first church. I was 19 years old. My wife was 18 years old. And I've been in Jackson, Mississippi, as Brother Schaffner said, starting my 37th year last month, and I'm just thankful to be there. When I first got to Jackson, I had the privilege of pastoring the most unique church in the state of Mississippi because I had the only interracial church in the state of Mississippi, and uh, I, that cost me a great deal. I, I lost meetings and friends and all that kind of stuff, and now I don't pastor an interracial church. I pastor a black church. I've got eight white people in the church and we're right in the ghetto and uh, we just love to have you come worship with us we're at 730 flag chapel road anytime you'd like to come we'd, we'd love to have you in jackson just roll up your windows and lock your doors as you come through our neighborhood and if you can't find it wait till dark and follow the ambulances and the fire trucks and you'll be real close to our church because we're right in the middle of the ghetto but if you do come, now please listen to me. If you do come and attend our church, do not tell my members I'm white. <laughs> because they don't know that. 
I was in a huge church up in Concord, North Carolina, preaching in a reaching preacher's meeting. I was one of several preachers, and uh, a huge church, there's 700 or so folks there, all black, and everybody knew me because it was a, a kind of unique having a white guy in Mississippi pastor in a black church, and I got up and I said, you know, I have decided, God's burdened my heart, I'm going to integrate my church. And everybody, oh, integrate your church. I said, yep, I can find any white people. We're going to integrate our church at Jackson, Mississippi. But it's been a great ministry. God's been good to us. And I just thank the Lord for the opportunity to be here. Wonderful music. I, I appreciate that. You're somewhat from Mississippi, huh? What's wrong? The mic's messed up. Do something. Okay, there you go. Can you hear me? can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy, so you better buckle your seatbelt before I get started, okay? Uh, you're somewhat from Mississippi, isn't that what you told me? Got up as quick as you could, didn't you? You'll quench the spirit if they find out you're not saying Get me fixed up. I don't want you not listening to me because of the microphone. I don't have Thank you. There we go. Thank you. You the sound man? Okay. I know who to first say. My sound people and I have a great, great relationship. They do exactly what I'm telling them to do. And we get along very good. Tonight I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 10, a very familiar verse of scripture, Hebrews chapter 10, and the verse I want to read from this chapter is verse number 25, so please turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, as I said, it's a very familiar verse of scripture, I'm sure that your pastor's probably read it a number of times, most of you can probably quote it, very simple, straightforward verse of scripture, but I want you to notice it tonight, because this is kind of going to be what I talk about. Now, Brother Kenneth, you knew before you come, you could not sit on that pew. Get over there. Thank you. Brother Dave let me down. I called him weeks ago. I said, when I come to preach, I want an empty pew down front facing the congregation. I'll do it. Don't you believe anything he tells you. <laughs> do you see an empty pew down front facing the congregation? It's supposed to be there. So that's got to be my empty pew. That's why you have it. You ready? Hebrews chapter 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now quickly go to the book of Nehemiah. You might have trouble finding that. Nehemiah chapter 13, verse number 11. And in this verse, Nehemiah asks a question, and I want you to see it. Nehemiah chapter 11, I mean chapter 13, verse 11. It says, Then contended I with the rulers and said, Notice this question, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Now over in Hebrews, we have a very clear command from God. He said, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And in Nehemiah, Nehemiah asked the question, why is the house of the Lord forsaken? But did she put that up there? No, she didn't do it. All right. I, I wasn't going to put anything up there. 
because I don't never really sure what I'm going to say when I get up here, okay? So I didn't want anything up there and me preaching and say, he's lost his mind. That's not what's up there. <laughs> but tonight I'm going to speak to you on the subject, what does an empty pew say about your church? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to preach tonight. Thank you for opening this door. Uh, Father, I, I ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit. God, I confess I cannot preach. But God, I'm asking you to preach through me what you've put on my heart. God, I preached it before, but I ask it to be fresh and new. I ask you, God, to present it clearly so that people can gain from it the information and the knowledge that's trying to be conveyed through this message. I pray the trumpet would not give an uncertain sound. But God, I pray for a touch from heaven. I pray for the filling of the Holy Ghost tonight. And I pray, God, that you wouldn't just work through me. I pray that you'd work in the hearts of the people here tonight. And God caused them to understand how they are supposed to respond to what I'm going to say tonight. And Father, when the invitation time comes, I ask you, God, for those who need to make a decision of any kind based upon what's said in this message, God, that, Father, they would have the courage and they would have the determination, God, to make that decision uh, so that they can leave tonight saying it was good to be in the house of the Lord. For it's in Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. Amen. Now, I said normally I have a pew down front facing the auditorium, and I call attention to it, but tonight we're going to have to do it a little different. I have a few pew down front right here. I just made my son-in-law get up and move off of it. Brother Dave must have saw what I was going to do. He already moved somewhere. Are you? I bet he's sitting all the way in the back. He's a good Baptist. He's somewhere out there. Where you at, Brother Dave? You here? Oh, look, look where's that? All the way in the back. And so this is going to be my pew tonight. So if you look down front, there is a pew right here. And if you look carefully, you'll see that's an empty pew. And we're living today, no matter what church you attend, somewhere in that building, you're going to find one or more empty pews in that sanctuary when the church gathers together. And in fact, some churches have more pews that are empty than they do that are occupied. And that's really sad because I've been at this thing a long time and I've pastored five churches and I've come to realize that every church in America, Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, whatever, every church in America has more people, more members on the role of their church than they can seat in their auditorium. If every member of the church showed up on any given Sunday, you could not seat them. In fact, if every member of the church showed up in on the same service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whatever, if they showed up at the same time, not only could you not see them, you'd have people standing around the walls, you'd have people standing in the aisles, you'd have people in the vestibule, and in many churches, you'd have people standing out front. I've been at Jackson 37 years, and I don't know how many people have been saved since I've been there. I told them last Sunday or Sunday before, I said, if everybody showed up here, we'd have to run the people out of the First Baptist Church to see them. Because uh, churches have far more members then they have spaces to seat them if they came on Sunday. Somebody say amen to that. Y'all didn't get it when I said I pastored a black church. By this time, boy, we'd be going, okay? I got a guy sits right there, and I have to stop once in a while and get him back in the seat, man. And, and so you're going to have to help me tonight if I'm going to preach to you, all right? Okay. And so every church has more members on roll than they have seats to seat them if they all showed up on Sunday, uh, and, and, and 
there's still empty pews in our churches. In fact, the number of empty pews in churches, and I preach all over the country, the number of empty pews in churches is growing every year. That means there are more empty pews every year in most churches every year that passes because the crowd is getting smaller in churches across America. And we see so many of these empty pews, we don't think much about it anymore. We walk right by them, don't pay any attention to them, doesn't mean anything to us. Sometimes we don't even notice there are empty pews in the building. And that is tragic because an empty pew is a talking pew. An empty pew has something to say and it has something to say about our church and the members of our church. And what the pew says, that empty pew says, many times it's more important what the evangelist and the pastor is going to say when he gets up and preaches this sermon. But nobody seems to be listening. Nobody seems to hear what that pew is saying. And I think some people just don't care what that pew is saying. And so tonight I want to bring a message entitled, what does an empty pew say about your church? And I just, I just want to speak for the pew. I want to tell you some things. An empty pew says, and, and I hate to say it, but I see more than one empty pew in here. You know, I preached this in my church the other day, and I, you know, it's kind of on the side. And, and, and last Sunday, they deliberately put one person on every empty pew. I guess they were showing me they listened. An empty pew is a talking pew. It says something about your church and the members of your church. Now, what does, now please don't get mad with me, okay? Uh, this is a revival. And, and you know, different meetings are for different reasons. Crusade, get folks saved. So you preach salvation, uh, the gospel, nothing but the gospel and the whole gospel. You've you got a stewardship meeting, you preach on tithes and offerings. And nobody shows up because they don't want to hear that. You, you, you preach a, a mission conference and you preach on mission. Well, a revival meeting is the time to point out the faults and failures and sins and inconsistencies of the church members. Yeah, this is not a seminar to soothe the saints. This is a sheepskin session. Anytime a preacher wants to get run off, they call me to come preach a meeting. I see your pastor sweating bullets over there. Don't worry, blame it on Brother Schaffner and you'll be all right. I didn't even know you. I'm telling you, I don't know this guy, but I know Brother Schaffner. All right? What does an empty pew say to about your church? Number one, it says there are members of your church who do not want to have no desire to be a better Christian. I tell my people all the time that when we got saved, we instantly got all the salvation we'll ever get. But we did not instantly become everything God wants us to be. The Bible says we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. The Bible says we're to press toward the mark for the price of the calling of God. The Bible says we're to go on unto perfection. And all those verses are telling us when we get saved, that's not the end, that's the beginning. As far as going to heaven, that's the end. But that's the beginning. We are to, to move forward, we're to mature, we're to grow, we're to develop, we're to become better Christians, reach new heights of maturity as long as God permits us to live on the face of this earth because we started out as a baby and God wants us to get up there where we're mature and we're a blessing and we're a channel that he can work through and, and, and the Bible tells us, now please, I told you, don't get mad, just smile and I'll think you believe everything I'm saying, okay? 
the Bible says that you cannot become as mature as God wants you to be and you cannot develop to the degree that God wants you to develop unless you are faithful and active in the church. When I say the church, I'm talking about the local church. I hear people talk about the universal church and the real church. Well, I can't find anything but the local church in the Word of God. Talks about the church at Philippi, the church at Ephesus, the church at Laodicea, the church at Sardis. Those were local congregations where people met at a given time, given place, had pastors and deacons and took up offerings. Very little difference between them and us except we got a building and they didn't have one. Basically the same thing. So when I say the church, I'm talking about the local church. And the Bible tells us clearly that you cannot reach your full stage of growth unless you are faithful and active in the church. And I want to show you that in the Word of God. Look in Ephesians, please, chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. Please don't miss this. I don't have a lot of scripture tonight because I know people have trouble getting to the places. So I don't have a lot. But look in Ephesians chapter number Four, and let's begin with verse number 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Listen carefully. If you can't find it, just listen, mark it down, read it, and get home. It says, And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, when I first started studying the book of Corinthians, because Corinthians says so much about the gifts of the Spirit, I thought he was saying in those verses he gave spiritual gifts to people. And that's true. He does, the Holy Spirit does that. But that's not what he's talking about here. These these verses aren't saying that God gives spiritual gifts to men. These verses say that God gives men who have spiritual gifts to the church. And he says there's three reasons he does that. Let's look at them backwards. He says for the edifying the body of Christ. He says for the work of the ministry. But notice the very first thing he says he gives these people a church for. He says, for the perfecting of the saints. That means for the maturing of the saints, the development of the saints, the growth of the saints. And in that, God's telling us, if we're really going to become all that God wants us to be as a Christian, we've got to be under the ministry of these people. And the place you find these people performing their ministry is in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the spout where the glory comes out. Amen. This is where Jesus shows up. This is where Jesus shows up. This is where God strengthens us. He educates us, he motivates us, he teaches us, he comforts us, he encourages us. And unless you're in the group where these men are ministering, then you may progress some, but you will never be all that God wants you to be unless you're anchored down in a local church under the ministry of God's men. And so when you see an empty pew in the church, that empty pew is saying that you have members of your church who have no desire to be a better Christian because if they did, all of them would show up when the church assembled and that pew wouldn't be. So number one, an empty pew is telling us that you have members of your church who have no desire to be a better Christian. You with me so far? Act like y'all. Say amen. I can't see any of y'all because of that light right there. If I had my son, I'd get him right back in the lane and shoot that light out with his sunshine. I'm blinded. You are out there, aren't you? I should have bought my baseball cap with a bib on it. Number two, when you see an empty pew, it's saying that you have members of your church who have no interest in getting involved in God's work. 
like it or not, God's work is done through God's church. Now, you know, I thank God for all that's going on outside the church. But Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And he put the church in the world so that he would have an organization he could work through to carry on his work in ministry and advance the cause of Christ in this world. And if anything gets done morally and spiritually in this country, it's going to be done either directly or indirectly through the ministry of churches like your church and my church. If souls are saved, they'll be saved through the ministry of God's church. If disciples are trained, they're going to be trained through the ministry of God's church. If revival, you said a lot about revival, if revival comes to America, it will come through the effort and the influence of local churches that still preach the word of God, witness and share the gospel and stand for right and decently in this wicked age. This is where God's working. But the same Bible it says, God's work is done through God's church, says the work of the church is done through the members. You're getting quiet on me. If you get quiet now, you're really going to get quiet in a minute. So enjoy it while you can. The work of the church is done through the members of the church. And the members have got the role of their so good work. I've been pastoring 52 years. I preached in I don't know how many churches. I pastored five churches. And I've never shook, drove in the parking lot and had a parking lot full of angels. Had a bunch of devils there sometimes. But I've never seen angels there waiting to come and teach Sunday school. Work in the children's church, go visit the bus route, drive the bus, play the piano and the organ and sing in the choir and bring the special music. Never happened. And it ain't going to happen. Anything gets done in your church or my church, somebody whose name on, is on the roll of that church has got to take that job, that responsibility, and see that it gets done. Because God's work is done through our in God's church. And, and you have to have church members to do that work. And so when you have an empty pew, that empty pew saying, not only do you have members that are not interested, have no desire to be a better Christian, it's saying that you have members on the role of your church who have no desire to be involved in God's work. Because if you didn't, every member would show up and your pastor would have a heart attack and you'd have to get another. But every member showed up this pew wouldn't be empty. So number one, the empty pew says you've got members in your church that, that have no desire to be a better Christian. He says number two, you've got members in your church that have no desire to be involved in God's work. Now the next two is going to get tough. If you get through these two, we're okay. An empty pew says you've got parents in your church that aren't concerned about the souls of their children. Now, I'm not saying if you raise your child in church, come Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, they'll always get saved, they'll always grow up and live for God and be a good Christian all life. I'm not saying that. I, 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 I know that's not always true. I understand that. But I am saying statistics prove that if a child's raised in church, every service with mom and dad sitting on the pew with him, there is a greater likelihood that child will get saved, stay in church, and serve God all their life 
than those who are not raised in church. And I know that for a fact. My mom and dad weren't the best parents in the world. Of course, they didn't have the best kid either, but they weren't the best <laughs> parents in the world. And they weren't the best Christians in the world. But my parents went to church. It was, it was a rare occasion. My mom was 94, lives with Brother Kenneth, and she's in church. It's a, it was a rare thing if we weren't in church. Uh, we went to Sunday school at 9.45 on Sunday morning. We stayed for preaching. We came back to training union. Anybody remember training? Five o'clock every Sunday afternoon. We were there for preaching again at 6 o'clock. We came to Bible study permit on Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Uh, back then, Southern Baptists had something called January Bible study. And we went to January Bible study uh, that summer. We all went to vacation Bible school. In fact, my mom worked in vacation Bible school. Every time I smell great Kool-Aid, I think of vacation Bible school. We never had anything but great Kool-Aid and cookies. And it was those cookies that had a black side and a white side. That's all we ever had. In Bible school. If they'd had a rat killing, my family had been there first in line with a stick and won't kill the first rat. We didn't miss nothing at our church. And I know personally, because of the influence that was in my life when I was growing up, if my parents hadn't kept me in church under the preaching of the Word of God, where the Holy Spirit had access to my heart, there's a good possibility I would not be saved. And I'll guarantee you I wouldn't be standing here preaching to you tonight. It's only because I was there week after week having the word of God hammered into my heart and the Holy Spirit having access to work in my heart that God was able to save me and transform me and call me and get me to the place I am right now. And I'm telling you, if you are not bringing your children to church, you are missing the greatest opportunity you have to influence them God because they're not getting in the public school. They're not getting it in the boy scouts. Boy scouts can't even figure out what a boy is. This is the only shot you got. And when you got an empty pew, it's saying there are some parents in that church that are concerned about their children's soul. Or every member with children would be here, and that pew wouldn't be in. So, number one, empty pew says that you've got members in your church that have no desire to be a better Christian. Preacher, you're smiling. I hope you, you're doing like that. If you don't agree, straighten them out after I'm gone, okay? <laughs> Number two, an empty pew says that you've got members in your church that don't want to get involved in God's work. Number three, an empty pew says you have parents in your church that aren't concerned about your children's soul. Number four, I told you it's going to get rough. An empty pew says you've got members in your church that's more concerned about what's going on out there than they are about what's going on in here. I began this message by saying every church in America has more people on roll than they can seat in the building. You agree with that? Sure. sure. Half of mine on roll is dead. I don't know who they are. <laughs> They've been there since Noah got off the ark. That was the first church they joined after, after the flood. So we don't even know who they are. And, and so we got more than we can get. You got more than you can get in your building. But if you could, now listen to me, this, this, is, this is something. If you could, when the church assembles together, somehow, miraculously, seek out every person whose name's on the road that ain't there. You'd find only a very small percentage is sick in bed nearly a day. 
And even a smaller percentage can be classified as home life. Can I help you? If you can go to Walmart twice a week, eat Cracker Barrel once a week, and go to every wedding and funeral, you ain't home man. And I know what's going on. I do a devotional column, a weekly devotional column. Brother Chef, Chef, and read it. I do a weekly devotional column. I got over a thousand people, and I know half of them don't read it, but I got over a thousand friends on that. And what those people have not figured out is that I can see, they can see me, I can see them. And it's got a date on that. And it's amazing how some of my sick in bed, nearly dead folks that I call on Monday ain't in bed. I had one woman, and I hope my church is not listening. I had one woman that moved away, and and she kept posting pictures of her being in a gambling casino. And I told her, brother, I said, I tell your sister to unfriend me. I'm tired of watching her lose her money. If we could run down all these people, you'd find that they are out in the world somewhere doing something that they are more interested in than what's going on in the house of God. Some are at the ball game. America's going to hell on a baseball field. Basketball court and a football field. Some of them are on the golf course. Some of them are bowling. Some of them are at the lake fishing. Some are laying on the beach. Some are at deer camp this time of year. But I don't preach much about deer camp because I like that. Some are at home watching television. Some are at the movies. Some are gathered together with friends and family fellowship. And you know why they're there instead of here? They're more interested in what's going on out there than they are what's going on here. And if that was not true, they'd all be here and that pew would not be. So an empty pew tells us there are members of the church who have no desire to be a better Christian. The, an empty pew tells us you have members that do not want to be involved in the work of God. An empty pew tells us you have parents who are not concerned about their, their child's soul. An empty pew tells us there are members who are more interested in what's going on out there than what's going on in here. And this will be the last tough one, okay? An empty pew tells us a lot of folk got their feelings hurt. Now, you don't have to say amen because you know what? I know this is one you don't have to because I've been around. I've been a Baptist all my life. Somebody asked me, what would you be if you were not a Baptist? I'd say, a seed. I was Baptist born, Baptist bred, and when I die, I'll be Baptist dead. That's just what I'm not against you if you're not a Baptist. You'll all be Baptist when we get to heaven. God will straighten all of that. But I've been a Baptist all my life. And I know churches are rolls are filled with the names of people that you haven't seen since God was a boy. And they quit coming somewhere in the past because somebody said something or did something that made them mad, hurt their feelings. And rather than deal with the conflict according to to the guidelines of God's word. Because one of my friends said they got the coochie lips. And left 
mad and said, bless God, if that's the way they're going to treat me, I ain't coming back. And they have been true to their word. You couldn't get them back. You was giving them $100 bills at the front door. I know because I've been chasing some folks 37 years. And they just ain't coming back. They, they're mad and they want everybody to know they're mad. And about half of these empty pews are empty for that very reason. Somewhere back there, they got the feelings hurt, got mad, and it was over nothing. And rather than go to the Word of God and do what God said in that situation, God's very clear on how, what to do when, you, when somebody's offended you or you offended somebody else. And it always, you know, one of the first things I learned when I got saved, the Bible way always works. But we don't do that. We go home and we don't come back and we got empty pews. I had a woman in my church, and I shouldn't tell this story, but it was not where I'm at now, so they won't know if they're watching. She's one of those that was all the time mad. You got any of that? Don't say nothing. Just all the time mad. She's mad all the time. Every other Sunday, she was mad. And I'd been there for about seven years, and I knew her. In fact, I knew their family before I ever became pastor. And one day she came out, and I could see, you know, I stand back door. We only had one door. And I was shaking hand, and I could see her back there. And I, she had that look. And she got up there and took my hand and said, I guess you know I'm mad. I said, well, i tell you what. I've known you a long time. You're always mad about something. Just go home and get the lad and come back tonight. And she did. these empty pews, many of them are empty for that very reason. If it wasn't true, every member would be here when we came together and that pew would not be empty. One morning I'm done, preacher. How am I doing? What time am I supposed to quit? Midnight? I preached in India one time and they preached me to death. About 110 degrees, I preached, got through. They said, we ain't through, preach again. I preached, and they said, we ain't through, preach again. And after the fifth time, I said, you may not be, but I am. That's it. An empty pew says you've got members in your church that aren't saved. Not everybody walks the aisle and makes a profession of faith gets saved. And when these people come, I know, I know Christians can backslide. I know they can get cold in their heart. There were times I wouldn't have come if I wasn't a pastor. <laughs> they can fall in sin and get out of church for a while. But if a person's born again, blood washed, the Holy Ghost of God comes to live in their heart. Right. And he changes your priorities, your desires, your wants. And, 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 and if you do get out of church and you're saved, Eventually, the Holy Ghost of God is going to make you so miserable. And the chastisement of God is going to come, and that's really going to get bad. And he's going to get you back in the house of God. Naomi in the Old Testament said, I went out full, but the Lord hath brought me back again empty. Now, he may bring you back empty. He may not bring you back to the same church, but he will eventually bring you back. I told her one, one time, she got mad and quit coming to church. I, I said, she said, I ain't coming back. I said, well, bless God, if you're saved, I ain't coming to hunt you. God will get you back. 
I used to be mean. But a lot of these folks, the Bible says, a natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them because they're foolishness unto him. And, and when a person walks out and makes a profession, gets baptized, joins church, and he didn't get the same Holy Ghost, doesn't come in, pretty quick church loses its attraction. They'll come for a few weeks. They'll come for a month or two. And then suddenly it's just not, you know. They say, well, you know, it's not much to this. And they go back out in the world. And not just out in the world. They go back to drinking and cussing and doping and back clubbing and back gambling. When I, my wife hates me to say, back to the juke joints and the honky tonk. But that's what they were when I was a kid. And they never come back. 50 years. No interest in the church. Whole life, nothing but sin. I'm not the judge, but I don't more believe they're saved than they're making popsicles with a big man. Now, I'm not judging you. But when the Holy Ghost of God moves in your heart, you just, you just can't stay away. Forever. You may not be able to come back to the church you used to go to. But you will somehow, somewhere, get back in the house. And I'm weary. I'll just tell you. I'm weary. I don't do weddings hardly at all. Nobody asks me to marry them because they're afraid I'll get up there and act like this at the wedding. <laughs> I preach a lot of funerals, though, because daddy's dead. He don't care. going to funerals where some old guy gets up some, some, some spineless preacher and he says you all know old John wasn't much of a church goer ain't been in this church in 50 years but you don't have to worry when he is 9 years old he made a profession of faith in old Possum Hollow Baptist Church and we Baptists believe once saved always so, brother I believe that I can't lose him I could have done done it But if somebody can stay out that long, no interest in the things of God, they're just not saved. And that's why their spot's empty in the pew. And I know this for a fact. When I first came to Jackson 37 years ago, had a couple move from Texas back to Jackson. They, they were from Jackson. And he may be listening tonight. He's going with me. I got a tent crusade starting next uh, week from today, just out of Birmingham. And he's going with me to help. And, and he and his wife moved back, and they both joined our church. They had been members for the Went Texas that came back, and uh, they were there for about three or four months. And all of a sudden, she quit coming. He came religiously. He even came soul winning on Thursday night. He he was there every time. Those old, but she wouldn't come. I went to see her, and she said, "Preacher, I just don't have any interest in it anymore." I don't, I don't, there's nothing going on down there, I care anything about it. And, and that went on for about a year, and finally one son, she came to church, you know what happened? She got saved! And I never had to go get her back in church again. So when you see an empty pew, it's telling you, you've got members of your church that aren't saved. 
because they were every member of Jesus. Yeah. And that two would not be. So when you see an empty pew, it's a talking pew. A preaching pew. Cattleness, you've got members of your church who have no desire to be a better Christian. You have members of your church, no interest in being involved in God's work. You have members of your church who are not concerned about the souls of their children. Have members of your church who are more interested in what's going on out there than what's going on here. You got members of your church who are offended, mad, upset, and you got members of your church who are not saved. Because if none of those things were true, every listen, I have quit trying to get people to come on in my church. Oh yeah, church on winner. We ain't got if nobody comes with my dog and cat, I'll have If the government says you can't have church no more because of COVID, I'm going to say, come put me in jail. I quit the last time, and I ain't it. We just now get over that. I ain't doing it. Yeah. If you don't want to come, stay home, but bless God, I'll be that preacher that in the house. But I got to the point, all I care about is getting them on Sunday morning. security team and everybody's on. I don't have it on tonight, don't we? <laughs> my brother, my, my son-in-law's got it. <laughs> but surely, Every member would be there. And that pew would not be. Now I realize I'm probably preaching to the choir tonight. You people are probably the ones that the pastor can count on. I mean, it's Monday night, man. And I think they started Monday night football back tonight, didn't they? I got to get through. <laughs> And so you're probably the ones that are here all the time. But somewhere in the crowd this large, there's somebody who may not have quit, but your space on that pew is empty more than it's on. You miss more than you come. And if that's true, it's for one of these reasons. Some might be shaking your head and some of you looking at your feet. It's for one of these reasons. Either you have no desire to be a better Christian. You know what? I went to William Carey College, graduated with a BA degree. I went to New Orleans Seminary, got a master's degree in London. I went to Andersonville College, got a doctorate. And I tell you that because you probably think I'm the most ignorant preacher in the world. <laughs> but you know what I learned in my doctrine and my theology? Sitting on a homemade meat in a at Ray's Chapel Baptist Church who had never walked on the campus of a Bible. And I learned it singing old hymns. Most of my doctrine comes from the old hymns. The new songs don't have any doctrine in it. Now if you're upset with that, then you just be upset. You won't like my church. 
Arch, because you don't want to be involved in that. Some of my people are scared to death when I walk toward them. I'm going to ask them to do something. <laughs> Arch, because you have children, you're not concerned about their soul. Arch, because you're more interested in what's going on in the world than what's going on here. Arch, because you're mad, upset. Arch, because you're mad. And if any of those things are true of you, then you're not rightly relating to his Savior. You're not close to him. You're not in his will. You're not in fellowship with him. Therefore, you cannot rightly expect to enjoy the fullness of his blessing. Now, I know this is a revival, and you've heard preaching about revival. You're going to hear more preaching about revival. But you listen to this, and if you don't know everything else I said, I want you to do this. Revival will never occur in America. It will never come to America until God's people come back to church. I don't know what you do in your church. We're an old-fashioned man. We we do things the old-time way. In our church, we do crazy stuff, too, because I got crazy people. But anyway, uh, we come to the altar. Now, my people will say amen to that. Tell me I'll run a in the church. We come to the altar. We confess our sins. We weep. Come back to God. That's what some of you need to do now. You need to get this altar and say, God, you know for sure that I've lost interest in growing and becoming a better Christian. God, you know I'm not really involved in you. God, you know I've got kids sitting at home that are going to hell and I'm really trying to get them saved. You know I'm far more involved in the world than I am at church. You know I'm mad. A month ago, a man started coming to my church. He came on Sunday night. He came one Sunday. He came the second Sunday. He was coming the third Sunday, and he didn't show up. We didn't know why. He was murdered on Saturday night. He had a bunch of his body outside the road, and they took all his ID, and they didn't identify him for about three days. I think that's the fifth person. Jackson's the murder capital of the United States per capita. Five or six a night. We're the coffee capital of the United States per capita. We have ten cars. When you walk out of this building, you have no guarantee of coming back. And so if you're here tonight and you're not saved, you're saved. If you are saved, you don't want to face God knowing your view is empty. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Pastor, I tell you, I, I'm, I don't know your opinion. I'll turn the invitation over to you if that's all right. Can I do that? Heads bowed, eyes closed, till he makes up his mind how to do this, all right? It could be that here in this gathering tonight, there's some, with your head bowed, heads bowed, your eyes closed, there could be some tonight that you have never asked the Lord Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior.
You've never surrendered, humbled your heart before him, confessed your sin, and said, Jesus, I need you to save me. And that could be you tonight. And if that's you tonight, don't let the opportunity pass. The Lord's drawing you. You've heard a message from God's word. You've heard about Jesus sung from the Allens tonight. They've told you about the Savior who shed His blood on Calvary's cross for you so that you could be redeemed. And if tonight you feel the tug of God on your heart, there's any doubt at all whether Jesus is your Lord and Savior, surrender all to Him tonight. I want to lead you in a prayer to do that. If that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer. And you just, you pray this prayer in your heart. Mean it with all your heart. It's between you and the Lord. It's not a magic prayer. You're not praying to me. You're praying to the Lord. Say, dear Jesus, I confess to you that I am a sinner. And I've done things that I know are wrong. And I failed to do things that I know are right. And I deserve the penalty for my sin. But Jesus, I believe that you lived a sinless life. You came to this earth. You died in my place on the cross. I believe that you were raised again on the third day. And you are alive. You ascended into heaven. And you are Lord of all. So Jesus, I repent of my sin. And I turn to you for salvation. Jesus, would you save me a sinner? Make me a new person. Put your Holy Spirit in me. I'll spend the rest of my life loving you and serving you. And when I die, I'll go home to heaven to be with you. Thank you for my salvation. And I pray this in your holy name. Amen. Now, would you stand with me? We're going to sing, Lord, I'm coming home. And you come. If, if you're a believer, but this word has spoken to you tonight, and you just need to come and pray, you come and pray. Whatever you need to do, this is your invitation. You take it and use it the way Lord would see fit. Let's sing together.